Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Today, we are studying a portion of what is often called the Romans Road. It is used to bring sinners to salvation, but we'd like to go a little bit deeper. But first, join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 9 through 13. We begin with a question. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith and not as a result of works. Yet in today's scripture reading, which is well known to all Christians, he says you must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord in order to be saved. Isn't that works? Well, Jordan, before we answer that question, first we need to apply the SPACE method to today's reading. SPACE is an acronym. SP stands for speaker, A for audience, C for context, and E for explanation. Jordan and I created this acronym to remind Bible students to think about who is speaking and to whom, what was happening at the time, and also the theme and message of the verses leading up to the scripture reading. We believe it's critical to consider these things before attempting to interpret any type of scripture. Let's use the space method here. Okay, so the speaker is the Apostle Paul, and we know that from verse 1, which says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And there are a few things to call out there, Andy. Paul calls himself a bondservant of Christ Jesus, and the Greek word there is doulas, which is also translated slave. So if you ever want to read a prophecy of Jesus where he predicts Paul would become his slave for the gospel, check out Matthew 22 and the parable of the wedding feast. Paul also reminds his readers that he was called and set apart. He was a true apostle that was chosen by Jesus and taught by Jesus. So even though Paul wasn't an original disciple, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and then was taught, quote, through a revelation of Jesus Christ when he was in Arabia for three years. Right, so he's authentic, um, and that's proven again. The audience is the church in Rome, which is the capital of the Roman Empire. 
Um, the Roman church was a mixed church of both Jews and Christians, very important. Unlike many of the early churches mentioned in the Bible, Paul did not plant this church or pastor it. He hadn't even visited the church yet. And yet they were mature Christians and doctrinally sound. This is probably because they were led by Aquila and Priscilla, whom Paul greets in chapter 16 later on in the letter. In any case, Paul does not find any fault with them. Unlike some other letters, he is not writing to rebuke them or correct false teaching. Okay, so the context here is, is Paul sharing everything that he normally preached in person. Um, because God had prevented Paul from going to Rome, you can see that in Romans 15, 18 to 25, he hadn't pastored this church in person. And that's really a blessing for us, as it turns out, because this means that Paul essentially wrote down everything he would normally say and teach in this letter. Romans explains the core doctrine of the church, including the need for salvation and the path to salvation, which is why many evangelists use Romans, or the so-called Romans Road, to guide sinners to salvation. Right, Jordan. So the Romans Road starts with condemnation. For instance, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he introduces justification. Romans 6.23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then comes the first two verses of our scripture reading, which are used to explain how one accepts this free gift. So that's the scriptural context, but the historical context is even more key. Historically, Romans was written when two dispensations were overlapping. One was about to end and the other was just beginning. A dispensation is a time period, and the doctrine of dispensationalism teaches that the history of mankind can be divided into time periods when God dealt with mankind differently. Yeah, so for example, during the dispensation of Abraham, God dealt with the Jews without requiring sacrifices and other practices we find in Levitical law. But then after that, God delivered the Jews from slavery, as we know, and he gave Moses the law. And this dispensation lasted until the time of Christ. Yes, when Christ died on the cross, he established a new covenant in his blood, uh, and his sacrifice also laid the foundation for a new dispensation known as the dispensation of grace, or sometimes called the age of grace, or the church age. Right. And again, during these time periods, God dealt with mankind differently, of course, and under the law, salvation was national of Israel. And you had to become a Jew in order to be saved back then, or in other words, you'd have to be circumcised, uh, abstain from eating pork and other unclean animals, etc. But under grace, God has paused his dealing with Israel as the nation and any individual as well, Jew or Gentile, so that they can be saved and grafted into the promises that were originally given to Israel. Yeah, so most teach the dividing line between these dispensations was at the cross when the veil of the temple was torn or at the latest at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. However, we believe, and our founder, Pastor Whipple, also believed, that God gave Israel a little bit longer of a grace period. Let's listen now to the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 28. Andy? Sure. Verse 16 reads, When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. 
And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Yeah, those are very important words, the sake of the hope of Israel. I also just wanted to point out, he's speaking to the leading men of the Jews. And, um, and uh, just as, as an, uh, a little footnote from earlier, he did make it to Rome eventually, but as a prisoner. Thanks, Jordan. So continuing in verse 21, they said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect of Christians, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. It was a big group. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, and remember those words, and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Yeah, so he gave a long sermon to these Jewish leaders, this large body of Jews. Yes, and in verse 24, we see that some of them were being persuaded by this thing spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word, and this is what he said. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah, the prophet, to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return. And then I would heal them. And finally in verse 28, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And in the NIV it reads, And they will listen. Right. And they will listen. So scholars date these events to sometime between A.D. 62 and 63. And Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from the Greek city of Corinth before he had been to Rome. So that was around 57 to 58 A.D. In other words, the context of our scripture reading today, it's about five years before Acts 28, when Paul is making his last ditch effort to attempt to persuade Israel's leaders that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. So Acts 28.28 then would be the dispensational dividing line because Paul ends by quoting the prophecy condemning Israel. Yeah, and then he, ex- he exclaims with exasperation that this message is now going to the Gentiles, of people who will actually listen. Some versions also include a verse after that, verse 29, which reads, When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. In other words, in this view, Acts 28, 28 is the official beginning of the church age. It's very, very important. And this is critical for understanding our scripture reading today. So, Jordan, let's now attempt an explanation. Okay, so let's start again by reading Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Again, many evangelists have used these verses as the end of the Romans road, a way to lead lost people to salvation. You know, the confess with your mouth part is usually a prayer, some version of what is typically called the sinner's prayer. 
Well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, Jordan, and we rejoice with the angels when anyone comes to Christ, of course. As mentioned, though, these verses do raise some questions. For example, do you have to say the sinner's prayer out loud is a common question, and what if you don't? Right. Or do new believers have to proclaim they are Christian? If they don't, does that mean they aren't really saved? Right, exactly. And what about people who quietly believe in Jesus in countries where you could die if, if you're converted, for instance, like possibly China? I mean, are they saved as well? So, I mean, we can go on and on. Yeah, you know, uh, like, for example, just on a personal note, my father made a last-ditch effort to convince my grandfather to accept Jesus, but he was in the hospital, and he couldn't speak. You know, he was he was dying, essentially. And, um, you know, the, that, that raised the question, well, if he believed, but he wasn't able to speak, will I see him in heaven? You know, and, we, and I'm sure many people have asked those questions as well. Yeah, Jordan, and, and I, we appreciate you opening up about that, because this leads to a deeper question we raised at the beginning of the lesson. Ephesians 2 says, salvation is a gift of God by grace, not works. Having to confess with your mouth then is clearly a work. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And the question is, is the Apostle Paul contradicting himself here? Right. So the first answer to this question, and and there are good answers, don't worry, those of you listening out there. Um, The first answer to this question takes into account what we've already started talking about, which is the audience and the context of these two letters, Romans and Ephesians. The Ephesian church, it's important to understand, consisted mainly of saved Gentiles. The Roman church, as we mentioned earlier, consisted of both Jews and Gentiles. And, you know, the the Jews in Rome had been established there since the second century BC. So, you know, they've been there a long time. And like other early churches as well, this church at Rome was also probably started actually in a synagogue, in a Jewish place of worship. Yeah, and this may also be why Paul spends the better part of three chapters of this letter— Uh, You could read that in chapters 9 through 11, talking about Israel and the prophecies of Jesus, making his case for Jesus as the Messiah, as he would later, of course, in Rome. Yeah, do later in Rome when he was the prisoner and talking to the Jewish elders five years in the future. So, So why is the audience important? Because this is key. Salvation for the Jews and salvation for the Gentiles were different. Right. I mean, both, of course, don't, don't get us wrong. They were salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not trying to say anything different. Correct. But the Jews had to perform certain works to consummate their faith as part of their membership in the nation of Israel. What were those works? Andy, let's take a look at that. Okay, well, let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says in verses 5 and 6, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So, you know, take note of the works here. We've got baptism, we've got confession. Right. Later in Matthew 10, Jesus begins his ministry and recruits his disciples, and then he sends them out and he tells them what to do. What does he say? He says in Matthew 10, verses 5 through 7, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, who are Gentile and Jew crossovers, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And from the Gospel of John, we know that he and his disciples baptized the Jews who responded to that call in the same manner as John the Baptist. So even after Christ's ascension, this pattern remained the same. We know at Pentecost, Peter preached to the Jews by saying, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And that's in Acts 2, 37. So one way of looking at our scripture reading is that Paul 
is speaking of salvation in the Jewish sense, if you will. And it's different for Gentiles because they were not part of the nation that needed to repent. Right, they couldn't repent because repent means turn back. And as non-Jews, their people had never been on the right path to begin with. Again, they were grafted in. That's why the Ephesians verses, which are written to Gentiles, only speak of grace and faith. They don't speak of repentance or confession or baptism. Romans does speak of these things. And that's the context in which we find today's verses. It's a passage about Moses, Isaiah, and Israel's rejection of its Messiah. All right, Jordan. So remember, this is five years before Acts 28.28, what we believe is the dispensational boundary line separating, separating the age of mankind under the law from the age of mankind under grace. So that's the first answer, and these verses should not be strictly applied to people today because they were written for Jews and Gentiles in between dispensations. But it it is a good rule of thumb to remember that whenever you read scripture that's directly addressed to Israel, it represents the individual Christian. When God is is teaching something or, or giving a story or a parable as Israel as a nation. It doesn't mean the church as a, as a whole as well. So if something happened to Israel as a complete nation, whatever the effect was, it's God's warning to us individually as a Christian. It's not, it wasn't written for the church, but it, it was written for us to learn from right. and apply in our life. Right, like many parts of the Bible, it may not be written to us, but it's written for us. The whole Bible is written for us. Exactly. And yeah, and also it's important to point out that we're not saying Romans 10, 9, and 10 should be ignored. So the second answer to the question is really to understand and pay attention to the verb tenses, because that's how we, the church, get, get today get meaning out of this. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, notice that's future tense, of course, right? right? And, that, and that's, I think, the most important thing to look at, and it's knowing what God is trying to say versus what... Christians think God's trying to say. Right. Um, you know, Christians... their doctrine onto the verses, exegesis instead of eisegesis. Exactly. So a Christian, and the average Christian today would look at this and say, yeah, he's talking about so that one day we can get raptured and one day we can make it to heaven. Whenever I die or whenever the rapture comes, I'll be saved. I'll be protected. I'll have that promise of everlasting life. But no, what he's trying to say is that in the future at the judgment seat of Christ, we don't know yet, you don't know yet, in other words... But if you live appropriately, if you do the spiritual works you're supposed to, which Romans 10.9 is saying to do, then you will have enough works to attain to the higher calling, which is salvation into the millennial kingdom. Um, Versus judicially, according to Scripture, like in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, you know, God already counts us as being in heaven. So in a court of law, spiritually, when Jesus died on the cross, we died as well. So there's no anticipation of, of everlasting life. We already know that. That's a done deal. The anticipation and the hope for a Christian today is that we follow and take heed of Romans 10, 9, so that we continually confess and live according to you know, the doctrine of grace and, and produce fruit in our lives. Yeah, and by paying attention to the tenses, you can get that. So you mentioned Ephesians 2, verse 8, which is, the, which is the verse we cited earlier. Notice the tense, for by grace you have been saved through faith. When he's talking about the gift, it's in the past tense, because any, any believer, and he's writing to believers, that's in the past tense for them. Whereas in Romans 10, 9, and 10, he's talking about the future, you will be saved. And those are key uh, verb tenses when you're trying to understand what Scripture is saying. Yeah, Jordan, so we've covered this ad nauseum many times. Um, You can go to our website, 
which is motk.org, and just look in the archive section of our audio files, and you could see that we have, you know, probably close to a hundred different uh, teachings on this topic, and we use scripture only to support this understanding. We give you all the tools necessary so you could do your own study as well. So, yes, we've covered this, but quickly, there is salvation of the spirit or justification which is the gift of God, and that cannot be earned. That's very important. Even with works such as confession or baptism, it cannot be earned. And then there's salvation of the soul, which is sanctification or being set apart, which means at the judgment seat of Christ, if we produce enough fruits in our life, when our works do get tested, God will set us apart from the average Christian or just the basic person that got saved and put us in, a, in, a, in an elite group, if you will. And um, Yeah, and not uncoincidentally, Pastor Whipple also called these two different salvations, first tense and second tense salvation, giving us, again, that clue that we should look at the tenses when reading the Bible to see which salvation it's talking about. Right, and this salvation, the one we're talking about to come in the future, is the prize or the inheritance or reward in the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, which is known as the millennial or thousand-year kingdom, which you can study in, in Revelation. It's there. Yes, Andy, great point. You know, and the prize must be earned. It's by no means guaranteed. Things like confession and baptism are just the beginning of the works that believers are expected to manifest in order to qualify. Yes. As opposed to salvation of the Spirit, which is always a one-time act of pure faith. It's in the past tense for believers, as we mentioned, because we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Whereas salvation of the soul, again, is a present continuous tense looking forward to qualification. So we're continually being sanctified cleansed and renewed, so he might bear good fruit and qualify to receive rewards someday. Yeah, Jordan, so when Paul writes, if you confess and believe you will be saved, his tense solves the problem of putting works into salvation here. And why is that? It's because he's not just talking about the spirit being saved here. He's also talking about the soul being saved. And Paul looked at our entire entity, our entire life, our purpose. We're saved not just to have everlasting life, but the goal is so that we can get to the point of achieving the the millennial kingdom by our works. And, you know, he reminds us in verse 11 as well that whoever believes in him, which is the present active uh, tense, or keeps on believing in Jesus, will what? He'll keep on being saved from hell? No, that's absolutely false. He says they will not be disappointed, which means future tense. Yeah, not disappointed in the future. Why? Because verse 12, he writes, because our Lord is abounding in riches for all those who call on him. And we know he's not talking about present day riches because, you know, besides going against scripture, the, the ark of scripture, not talking about earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure, he ends with this, with this phrase, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, future tense. So that's how we know he's talking about the kingdom and the riches in the kingdom. Amen, Jordan. Great lesson. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in minute Bible studies, dot O-R-G. Our website has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forum, ways to support this ministry, and more. You can also sign up to receive an email whenever we upload a new Bible study. Our first email will even include a link to a special series titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. This eye-opening set of Bible lessons is our gift to you when you join our community. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org. While you're there, please also consider donating in support of Give20, our special initiative 
to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We all know studying the Word of God is vital to our spiritual growth, yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. That's why we've created 20-Minute Bible Studies. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. And we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. To join the Give 20 initiative, visit our website and click Donate. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rates reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.